She's like, I'm out on this investing stuff. I am not. I was like, oh, yeah, she just hangs. I'm she just hangs it. up the call. <laughs> I'm putting it under my mattress. Fuck this. T- I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Right, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Erica. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, happy, well, it doesn't matter what day. This comes out a different day. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> happy Monday for the people hello. that are listening on the day that it comes out. Yes. Happy Monday to y'all. Yes. Um, I know you had a packed weekend at camp. Fresh off, fresh off the camp bus, camp trail. I don't know what to say, but how was Both? it? Both. Oh, I guess I didn't take the bus. So fresh off the trail. And some people may have seen, uh, I posted on social media, the uh, 30-something POV from Adult Sleepaway Camp, which was a stark contrast to the 20-something POV. And one of the main things, my bunkmate said it perfectly herself, that we were all popping melatonin and going to sleep on on our uh, our evenings. Yes, very accurate. And literally everybody, we were cracking up because it lined up on the sink. Everybody had like melatonin, CBD. Of course, I had my Sunset Lake. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you, did you try to convert any customers over because they should try? I it. did actually. So I ended up giving my little thing I had with me of my sleep Tincture, gummies. I ended up drops. Yeah, no, I had my gummies with me. Oh, the gummies, nice. And I ended up giving my little box of gummies to one of my bunkmates because I was like, "Here, take these. I have more at home." And she, she loved them. So we're spreading the good word about Sunset Lake. As you should. I uh, got a big flight tomorrow morning. I'm definitely taking it because I just don't sleep well on planes. Oh, I can't, yeah. but I take two of those melatonin gummies and it'll knock me out. They are amazing. And everything else they have is amazing too. I take the regular gummies or tinctures during the day if I'm having a little bit of a stressful day. And they also help me sleep at night when I don't use the melatonin ones. I have noticed that I don't have as much anxiety dreams when I use CBD, which is really nice. I'm not surprised. Their stuff's great. So if you guys want to check them out, and you should, go to sunsetlakecbd.com, and we have a promo code for you, FMH20, for 20% off, and you can use it multiple times. Get it for a gift. Get it for yourself. Treat yourself. Get all of that CBD. So I've talked a little bit on the pod about how I've been trying to extend my damp January into, into future months. And I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah. And also, it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, 0% alcohol. So just a nice nice little flavorful drink that is a little, little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the recess watermelon mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's a actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feel it all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the recess ginger lime mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious. And you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH. So you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Um... It was amazing. So off the top, you had given me a challenge last week Mm -hmm. that I needed to introduce myself to five men. It became clear to me, and I was nervous. (laughs) 
it became clear to me, became clear to me like less than an hour in that this was not going to be a problem. Good. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. It was so great. I actually, I was just actually texting with Rourke right before we hopped on the recording about how healing this camp experience was for me. Like, oh, how so? Like, wilderness, meeting new people? More so, like, my own. So, I mentioned that I, I didn't go to this kind of camp, but I went to, like, sleepaway camp. You know, it was academic camp, but it was sleepaway camp. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like in those scenarios that I was the, like, the fun friend to the girl that all the boys liked. Okay. And that at the time, for example, that that story that I told about my fucking roommate who slow danced with the boy that I liked. <laughs> I think it might have been Patreon only, but yes. Oh, was it Patreon only? Yeah. But yes. So, like, I always felt that way. And it definitely affected my overall camp experience at the time and like I would have so much fun at these camps but I also would have this feeling of like why not me like why am I not the one the boys like and yeah, I feel most of us have felt that in several situations totally but yeah totally. I get it and so well, I'm sure I'll even focus the girls on my studies <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm going to a crime scene investigation class after this but yeah um and I'm sure that even I'm sure that the girls that I thought had it all together and were like the, you know, centers of attention, whatever, I'm sure that they also felt that way. Because mm-hmm. we're all just in middle school feeling like shit all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. The hormones are raging. We all like people that don't like us back. It's a whole thing. It's a, a whole, whole thing. thing. But yeah. I, I had this feeling and I would always make really close girlfriends, but feel like that just put a damper on the whole thing that I was like, oh, and I was, and I was talking to Rourke about this literally today. She and I had similar experiences and et cetera. And this camp somehow like healed my inner middle schooler where I, again, made great girlfriends. It was like the biggest takeaway from the camp was the amazing friends that I made, like immediately made friends with my, I ended up having four bunk mates, but when I first arrived, there were two of them there mm-hmm. and immediately made friends with them. And we became like a, a core group. And then the two others got there a little later and the five of us became this group. And that was amazing. And there were people within my group of friends, not just my bunk mate, but all bunk mates, but also like other girls that we became friends with that were getting far more interest from the men at this camp than me. Mm-hmm. Like one of my friends had like, a rotating group of suitors. Like it always seemed like she was like talking to somebody else. And then, you know, but she'd be like, oh, well, like night one guy, eh, I'm not so sure. Like I'm into like day two guy, but the night two guy was different. But I didn't have any of those feelings about it. Like I didn't have any of those why me feelings, which it it's, makes sense. Obviously I'm older now than I was then, but it like, it just felt really healing to be back in a really similar scenario and just like send my younger self a whole lot of love for like Mm -hmm. the growth that is to come that she just like didn't know about uh, with getting older. Yeah. It's almost the, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 
I'm interpreting it as a lot of us once the second we leave high school days, you realize how little it matters. Yeah. And like both with, you know, people's interest in you and dating, but also just little friend dramas that you're like, man, I thought the world was ending. I was so mm-hmm. upset. I was so anxious about this. And the minute you leave, you're like, oh, that was a land that like wasn't real. It felt so real at the time, but oh, that's so in my past and not at all my future. Totally. And and also, I used to center, this is not just true about camp. I used to center though my entire camp experience around if I was going to like any boys and who liked me and what was going on with the, like that was the center of my universe. Generally speaking, <laughs> as a middle schooler and high schooler, but especially at camp because I felt like camp was this opportunity to like break out of the social group that I was in at my normal school. And was your, was your regular school, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but was your regular school all girls or you were co-ed? No, it was co-ed, but I did. But how like big, how big was like your class? Like when you were in a classroom, was it only like 10 kids? How many people? I graduated with 85 people. Yeah. Okay. So it was co-ed. But very, very small. And I feel like that heightens a lot of these scenarios because yes, when I think about when I was having like bullying situations or girls being mean to me, my class had like 200 kids and public school mixed. And my mom would just tell me like, there's 100 girls in your grade. Make new friends. She's like, these people aren't nice to you. They're clearly not your friends. Make new friends. But that's an easy solution in a bigger school. Because there are yeah. many different cliques and many different groups of people. So it's it's an easier solution for you know someone in my situation than, than yours. Yeah, I did not have that option. Like my option at my – and I went to the same school from kindergarten to 12th grade. So, so it not even like – not even high school, it like doubles, nothing. No. And people – obviously new people would come in. Like I – and people would leave and new people would come in. But your like social group and frankly your social status did not change. So like new people would yeah. come in, but like the, and I was not cool. And so the, the people, the like, I mean, I wasn't popular that, either. If it makes anybody feel better. Yeah. Like I was a jock that played sports, but I, my friends were all the nerdy kids and like yeah. the advanced science class and stuff like that. Love it. Um, but what that meant is, is that like the, because it was, you know, it's high school, it's very hierarchical and like. The people yeah. who were in the social groups, quote unquote, above me, I'm putting massive quotes around that because that was my perception at the time. But obviously, that's not reality, like you said. Mm-hmm. But those people, like, they would not have been my friends. Like, had I decided that I didn't want to be friends with my friends anymore, which I many times wanted to do that for reasons that you said, I yeah. I would have just been alone. Like, I would have just been, like, by myself. Like, there were no other options. Yeah, I get that. That's very hard. So I can see how going to anywhere where you're just like, oh, I don't feel a popularity contest anymore is just so freeing to be like, yeah, I can fully be myself and I'm going to make friends and I'm going to have a great time and I'm not worried about what anybody thinks of me anymore. Completely. And so that's why I loved camp at the time. But like, obviously, I was still a teenager and very much did care what people thought about me. And now like just like going to this camp and granted, it is a camp for single people. The idea – it's called We Met at Camp, right? Like the idea is that you're going there hoping you might meet someone. Mm-hmm. But it like wasn't 
the center of my universe or any of the people that I was hanging out with universe. And it just felt really freeing yeah. in a way that took off so much pressure. And I did end up having a flirtation that with a, a guy that I will, I will tease, we are calling the Texan and he is mostly going to live on the Patreon. So if you would like to visit where he lives, you can go there. Um, for now. Anyway. <laughs> for, na- for now. Yeah. For now. Who knows? We he, can, we'll see where it comes, goes, but for now, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Um, but so I had that kind of going on, but it felt like that was the background noise. It mm-hmm. felt like my flirtation with the Texan and everyone in my little group's flirtations with whomever were the background noise to the main story of us being friends and having fun at camp. Yeah. I love that. It was so great. And I did trapeze and I did a backflip. So like, what more could you want? <laughs> there you go. Truly. Um, I, I'm curious yeah. if you, f- if you feel this way. Um, Cause I feel this sometimes there's something to, you know, the longer you're single, the more you actually feel less pressure with dating because you just think I'm fine I've been fine and I'll continue to be fine I would love someone in my life but if they don't come by a certain time or a certain age like I feel like the older I get the more accepting I become of that and it's obviously due to naturally just I haven't had this super serious partner or found my person as we say Mm -hmm. but there's a big part of me that's like no, I'm okay. And I've also feel like I've learned from in dating specifically, not like pushing things to happen and pushing scenarios to move along and get the boyfriend title and, you know, do all these little things. And I feel like yeah. that also is something that you learn just from being young with these friendships, right? All the, We've all experienced trying to like get our way into the popular group and oh how cool it felt we got invited to that party by this person or because this boy was going to be there whatever it is and then as you go through life you're like if i get into the invited to the party great if i don't also great like gonna be fine i'm okay we're all okay (laughs) it's it's so funny that you say that because the other thing that i was thinking about today is that and like since i've gotten home and on my way home and whatever is that so the ratio was better than I thought it was going to be. We were worried about it because they were still saying that there were spots open for guys, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The mixer, as discussed, was like 80-20. Right. Yeah. At best. It was like 60-40, women to men. So solid. like solid, way better than I was expecting. A better ratio than New York City. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which ratio... is like the number one thing we can ask for. <laughs> I know, honestly. Just get me better than what I'm dealing with here. Um, The ratio, though, of the younger crowd was even better. Like, I would say, I don't actually know these numbers, but just ballpark. If I had to split people into, like, 20s and 30s, and there were also some people in their 40s, so, like, we'll we'll put them with the 30s. I think that the ratio of the 20s was close to 50-50. Nice. Very impressive. And our ratio was probably more like 65-35. I mean, still not perhaps. bad, but yeah. Not bad. Add to that, though, that like a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s are maybe like going after the younger girls, whereas like I have no interest in the people in their 20s. So those are the numbers, right? And yet, consistently, when we would talk to women who were younger than us at the camp and – 
their experience versus our experience, they were experiencing a much more competitive vibe mm. than we were. Yeah, it's despite just might be a young the fact that game. they actually, well, yeah, but like despite the fact that they actually had more options, mm-hmm. both within their own age group and because they can date up, yeah, they were they were experiencing that, and it just goes to exactly what you're saying that it's like we we as you get older you kind of realize that like it's it's going to be okay and like it doesn't have to be like that rat race and it just it was just a really nice reminder to myself and i think for our younger listeners that it it does change and mm-hmm. like you you will feel better yeah. And like continue to gain that confidence in yourself. And that's also something you can start working on even earlier than I did. Yeah. I mean, especially what you just talked about was like that competitive feeling. Mm-hmm. And we've all been there, not even at camp, wherever in life, where maybe you're a little interested in a guy and you have a group hang. And then that guy comes over to you and is like, oh, what's your friend's deal? Yep. I think she's cute. And it fucking hurts and it sucks but all i've learned from that is like i'm not gonna make someone be interested in me i would love them to be if they're not interested throw them to the birds oh she's single (laughs) oh you want her number here it is like me competing with anyone whether they're my friend or not is not gonna help me find my person no right like the person that you have to compete for not your person no exactly like it sucks but we've all been there where it sucks and like you said you feel that feeling of like man everybody's interested in this girl and i don't feel like anybody's ever saying that about me when the real truth is you don't know if they're saying it about you because this is okay this is something that's happened to me a few times this is actually an infuriating example but have you ever had like the minute you start dating somebody suddenly these other men are like you know i always had a thing for you oh well, where the fuck were you? Because <laughs> I was single. I was single for a pretty long period of time. What? Why did you, you suddenly get the confidence the to say it now? It's absolutely infuriating. I'm like, this is the last thing I want to hear. Keep it to yourself. Like, make the move when I'm single or don't. Or never say a word. No sense to me. And ugh, even worse, have you ever had the opposite? They get a girlfriend and then they say it to you? I that hasn't happened to me, but I have heard that happen. I'm like, why, why the fuck would you ever say that? I'm just like, like, oh, if I, I feel single. sorry for your girlfriend. Oh god, yes. I mean, if I were single, just that man should be put in jail. I mean, <laughs> honestly, straight to jail. Holy crap, scam! But um, such a scam. Just, oh, but it's infuriating. I feel like I feel like everybody has that happen once in life, where you're like, yeah. you were into me why didn't why didn't you try even on let's me. say a camp 12 year old level that you told my friend you thought i was cute or something you know what yeah. i mean just like basic level basic level agree just agree try to try to try to get it through me to the grapevine you know i don't i don't know <laughs> anyway that's, that's so, just a frustrating thing but uh no i totally agree with you so anyway so yeah camp was a success and also one of my goal, in addition to completing your challenge, my goal coming out of camp was to make connections that would lead to whether those friendships or otherwise that would lead to more situations where I could meet more people. 
like yeah. network expansion, right? And so coming out of camp, I'm going to a run club next week. Really? Yes. Okay, be real so, with me. You like running? No, I fucking hate running. No, but this is the thing. So <laughs> like, a lot of run clubs. No. So a lot of run clubs also have people who walk. Okay. However, I have always felt kind of weird showing up to a random run club and being a walker. Like that that's always felt like a little weird to me. You want like solidarity. I don't think I like, should... like me and this other person are going to run. Or going to walk. Exactly. Like I'm like, oh, I'm here by myself and also I don't run. Like that. Okay. <laughs> like that. So can I tell you something? That's why I stopped yep. doing Orange Theory specifically because you're supposed to run on the treadmill. And they always have just one machine that is for, like, if you can't run, you have bad knees, mm-hmm. whatever, low impact, mm-hmm. like a elliptical bike. And sure. I am I just can't run anymore. My knees are shot from college ball is what it is. Yeah. But every class I'd go to, there would be someone that was, like, quote, worse off than you, who's like, I need the elliptical. And I'd be standing there like, well, because I can walk. But the, I hated the pressure of, like, I'm the only one walking. I hated it. Yeah. Where yeah. Like, mm. So, and then they like talk to you like you're being lazy. And I'm like, I don't want to make a scene, but I also need the elliptical or I walk. I, like, I it's okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I just never know, even though most run clubs say all levels are welcome and some people walk, like, you just don't know if you're going to show up and be the only person walking, like, you, like yeah. you said with the Orange Theory class, right? I get, I get how you're feeling. Yeah. So there is a woman that I met from my bunk who goes to a run club and she mostly walks. Yeah. Okay. Good for her. So I already know. Yeah. So I'm like, so I already know that there is somebody that I know who is going to be doing what I want to do. And she also does like a ton of fun, super fun people. They all hang out afterwards. Like they all meet at a place and have food and drinks or whatever. Um, So I'm going to go next week with her. That's fun. I'm happy to hear it because I feel like this is one of the top suggestions when people go, join a group thing, look on Meetup, look on Eventbrite. They go, like a running club, a book club. like, And then that's the end of the list of ideas. And I'm like, well, I don't like to run and I listen to audiobooks. So those things. Yeah. Like I like I've said before in this pod, I'm not reading Colleen Hoover, okay? So I don't know if the book club's gonna be my vibe. But it's like I like the idea, a consistent group that meets, so happy to hear yeah. it. Also an idea for the listeners. You can be you could walk at the run club, all right? The point you is you end at the same destination the and then you hang out. Yeah, so apparently at this particular run club they have it's a one to three mile um walk, run, whatever. And so they have like multiple routes for depending on the speed you think you're going to be going. So they all start mm-hmm. and end at the same place, but then they're like, the runners are going to do this route. The joggers are going to do this route, the walkers, et cetera. So I'm, I'm excited. Okay, great. Sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I have going on and uh, maybe more to come with, with the Texan. We shall see. We'll see. We we'll will see. see. Would you invite yeah, them to run club or is this like different groups of friends from the camp? Not different groups of friends, but I don't think so. I think I'm very much I, – I do think I'm going to see him soon because there are other conversations happening about, like, reunion-type stuff that are going to be, like, bigger group hangs. Yeah. So I think I'm going to have enough. I think I'll see him without needing to, like, orchestrate it. Nice. So you're taking – you're going to see see if it comes to you. Throw it to the birds, as we say. 
th- I'm throwing it to the birds. Um, and I also, I, I have, I have done a couple of things like to pretty make it pretty clear that I'm interested in him. Okay. So I, I support it. Yeah. So like the very, like, just as a quick example, the very last thing is that I actually recorded, um, an upcoming episode that we have. I recorded it in his apartment on the way home from <laughs> camp. Yep. <laughs> Not for the reason uh, people I, think, but just no. Oh God, I didn't even think about that reason. Jesus, <laughs> not for that reason. There was very bad traffic, and I was yeah. driving him and a few other people home from camp. And not a, it, not a sleepover situation. Not a sleepover. <laughs> I was going to be late for our recording if I went to Brooklyn, and so yeah. he very kindly offered for me to use his apartment and his computer. Um, and he left to go to a coffee shop so that I could have quiet, which was very nice of him. Um, and slid like a little note during our, during our recording, slid like a little note onto the table that said like, Hey, I'm going to a coffee shop. Text me when you're done. Gave me his number. And then I texted him and said, I'm done with the recording. Smooth way to give me your number, by the way, Very with nice. a little winky face. And then we had a little back and forth. So like, and there were a couple other things throughout camp, um, yeah. that, you know, maybe, maybe will become just- relevant if he becomes a prospect. We shall see. I was just I was just clarifying because the way you told the story, you were like, I did some things to let him know I was interested. So I recorded the uh, podcast from his apartment. I was like, well, well, yes, sleeping with him would be a pretty bold move to let him know <laughs> that you're interested. You're completely right. Thank you for making that clarification because I did not realize even until you even until you just said it again now. I was like, pretty bold move. Now, pretty bold move. I did a, I did a couple of things. He might know I like him. He might, he might, he might have a little hint. Give him a little he hint. Might took have my a clothes hint. off. Little he hint. Might, you know, he might know. <laughs> um, no, I know you didn't, but I was like, wait, hold up. It, thank you for clarifying. That for got a listeners. little, got a little murky yeah. for the listeners. It there did. For a second. It did get a little murky. That did not happen. Um. So <laughs> anyway, we shall see. Um. And you know, more to come from Run Club. But what what's going on with you? Uh, so I have a little little update I've yet to tell you for the pod. Oh. Um, so I'm going back to New York. I fly back tomorrow. Yeah. Going to be in town for like basically two months due to gigs yeah. and weddings and just too much stuff to fly back and forth, honestly. Right. So, yeah, I've actually lucked out. I'm dog sitting for two friends two different weeks. So I was like, great. Oh, I was hell yeah. the city to stay. Love it. Uh, if I know you personally and you need dog sitting, holler at your girl. Happy to do it. If I love uh, the disclaimer. If I know you personally, <laughs> well, like, I don't. You know, I. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just like a random day, I'm like, come to my apartment, watch my dog. I'd be like, well, well I have a dog for you to watch. Well, I'll be there, by the way, but you yes. can watch the dog. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm fortunate enough that I have options to stay, and this this yes. this happened to work out. So that's awesome. kind of great yeah, timing yeah. on me being by coastal and you know friends going on trips. Uh, so obviously, coming back to New York, I was like, oh, I should reach out to the accountant. Because mm-hmm. um, we never had the FaceTime we were supposed to. Summer's busy, yeah. whatever. And at this point, I was like, I feel like we should just meet up in person like we were originally going to. Yeah. So I texted him exactly that. I just said, so at this point, I feel like we should just meet in person, question mark. Mm-hmm. So I texted him last week uh-huh. on Monday. It's officially a week later. No response. None at all. What? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not gonna double text. I already decided. Because it went through iMessage, okay? It didn't do that weird thing where I was like, oh shit, did he not get it? I'm like ninety-nine percent positive he got it. 
I am surprised that it just not have a response. My mouth is literally hanging open right now <laughs> for those not watching the video. <gasps> yeah. What the fuck? That is so out of character. I mean, you went on a few dates with the man. Who knows what's in character? You know, we can all. I have we have mutual friends though. But yes, I mean, I don't know him. I don't know him that well. But yeah, I just, I'm just... just so surprised. That sucks. I was surprised to not hear anything. And obviously, I'm sitting here like I assume you are seeing someone, or you changed your mind. Whatever it is, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it doesn't matter why, but just what the fuck. Yeah, I was. I mean, you know, obviously, like I'm a little bummed because I was. Yeah. Felt like we were vibing when we were talking, and uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but not much I can do. I feel like now I'm more thinking like, okay, let's say I hear from him. Who knows when? Mm-hmm. A week from now, two week, month from now, whatever. Yeah, I do think this is a rare situation here. I would be open to if he contacted me and said, "Hey." uh whatever reason addresses that he didn't answer mm-hmm. and says i am like free this week i i would love to meet you get a drink whatever yeah i i am open to doing that I, i'm not gonna write it off completely because i feel like timing just wasn't good sense. i wasn't around yeah i yeah. i wouldn't take offense to it um it's not like we made plans and this dude like stood me up or some shit you know what of I mean? course yeah yeah of course so, i would be open to it but um I'm going to I'm gonna stand on my ground. I'm not going to reach out again. All right. Well, man, so. I'm sorry. That sucks. Nah, it's all right. What can you do? Yeah. Nah, nothing. Like, I don't, but, I don't believe the right person, wrong time. So I'm just like, all right. I don't, yeah, I don't either. You know? I don't either. Didn't happen. Ugh. I'm open to it. Come on, accountant. I feel like it's, it's unique. It is a unique kind of situation. Uh, yeah. That, like, I, I truly wouldn't hold it against him on the not answering one time. Because I, I think that makes I'm assuming... Sense. I'm totally assuming he's just with somebody else. Maybe. Yeah. You know? Oh, well. Ugh. Oh, well. Nothing I can do. Yeah. I'm not going to dwell on it. You know what I mean? No, I think that, I think that makes total sense. That's That makes sense, but it's annoying. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, well, on a more positive note, uh, we do have a great guest for this week, and we're continuing our little financial series. Yes. I am so pumped. Fun fact... I was actually in the same sorority as our guest. She's a year older than me, so like we like were, we were friends. We were in the same sorority at the same time. Um, it is Ashley Feinstein Gersley. She is the founder of the Fiscal Femme. She's a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. So she had a prior career in finance before um, starting her company. I'm so pumped for us to talk to her. We've got some great questions from the listeners, and let's get to her interview. Let's do it. Listen up, guys. If you haven't heard yet, we're coming to the DC Comedy Loft for another live podcast Thursday, March 21st. Get your tickets. We are, I think, over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets. If you want to come experience some magic live, we want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week. So, and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrhyde.com slash live to find an easy link also in our bios to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come DC Comedy Loft Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand up shows. Start swiping on Hinge, bring a date, have a good time. And 
you'll you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about, hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt. I want to come with my sister. I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join. Travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrhight.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. And we are back with Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to Fighting Mr. Height, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited. I gave the listeners a little preview in our intro that we went to college together and we're in the same sorority. It's so fun to be here together. I know. It's so good to see you. You too. Well, we are we are very pumped. The listeners are pumped. I know uh, it's been a while since we've uh, since we've talked financial tips on the pod, so I- I'm excited. I know Erica's too. I'm always excited to talk money tips. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we got a lot of questions. I'm like, I don't know if you guys want to dive right into the questions, or if there's any background you want to share of how you got to starting your own company, or you want to just rock. I'm happy with yeah, I would let's, I would love to for the listeners to hear your story because I think it's really cool. Yes, I'll try to do the long story short, but essentially <laughs> I studied finance and worked in finance and knew nothing about my own money and was working as an investment banker, so had long hours, worked a lot, nights, weekends, made good money, but when I switched to a job that had a better lifestyle, I took a pay cut and had no idea how to manage my money when I was working all the time. I didn't really need to because I didn't have time to spend money. And when I got into my new job, I started making up for lost time and seeing friends, going to concerts, doing workshops, all the things, and was just bleeding through my money and realized I had to figure this out. And at the time, life coaching was starting to become a thing. And I had a friend of a friend who was getting her hours. And she challenged me to share what I was learning on my own money journey, figuring it out on a blog because I was terrified of having a voice on the internet at the time, which is ironic because that's literally what I do. Um, <laughs> and so that was well, the a very finance mentality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, awesome. What if I change my mind? So the fiscal femme was a blog at the beginning and then it, I started coaching people one-on-one and creating group programs. Those turned into books and, um, now here I am. I love that. I think it's it's so interesting to hear you say that you were working in money but didn't know how to manage your own because I think that so many people and I we saw this in the questions, I we saw this in the DMs that we got. I think so many people feel shame that yeah. they don't understand how to manage their money and those are people that are not even coming from a financial background professionally. So to hear that you studied that and still we're feeling that way is I think really heartening for me. It honestly is almost everyone. I think every time I give a talk, I'll have people raise your hand if you feel like you should know more and all the hands go up. And I found it doesn't matter how much people are earning, how old they are. I remember I was meeting with a mentor once and he was giving me advice in my business. And then at the end, he's like, can we talk about money? And I was like, you too? Like, I thought you knew everything. So <laughs> um, I think, 
it's just a, it's something that we're, a lot of us struggle with it or feel shame around it. And we feel very alone and we don't realize that we're having brunch with our best friend and they're thinking a lot of the same things and we're just not talking about it. And that alone feeling makes us all more difficult and just icky. Uh, I'm curious. So we have predominantly female listeners. We're like 95% female. Getting into the business you've got into, I know it was specifically to help more towards women and feeling like women don't have these resources as in front of their face the way that men do, right? Or maybe we just don't talk about it naturally as much as men do. So I'll ask a gendered question here. What do you think are like the top three mistakes that women when it comes to finances are making? It's a great question. I, one of the reasons that I did start my business was when I, and this was like in 2010, 2011, when I was figuring this out, I went to go, I had like the type A kind of, I'm going to figure this out by reading books and just diving into resources. Yeah. And most of them were written by old white men at the time. It's getting so much better. <laughs> and there's a lot more diversity in the space. But a lot of it was, I felt keeping me out of the club, like, boring, jargony, like not in um, examples. And I think this was age too, like not in examples that I could relate to. Um, There was also a lot of it was missing this like behavioral component around money. Like, oh, now I had the education. I know what I should be doing, but I'm still not actually doing it. Like what, what's missing here? And so there's that whole money is very emotional. A lot. My first book was called the 30 day money cleanse because money and food, I think are very similar. Um, And so I do think the, and there's so many things that are, you know, money, some money things are very similar, no matter who you are, and our gender impacts every area of our finances. And so to know that we might be earning less, we will be saving less in retirement, we'll be living longer, we're getting higher mortgage rates um, for the same credit scores and credit profiles. So I thought it was really important to um, talk from a a woman's, my woman perspective. And I'd say the biggest mistakes, you know, there's a lot of, I think, over harping on like women's overspending or um, not asking. Um, And I know that that is something that a lot of us, myself included, the asking part struggle with. but because there are real ramifications when we do ask. And so I think it's also Mm -hmm. important to think about like, why aren't we asking? But I'd say the biggest things I've noticed, especially when I work with couples is oftentimes in a hetero relationship, the man will come into the meeting sounding a lot more confident, having made more decisions for the couple, but actually doesn't know that much more if anything than the partner. And mm-hmm. so I'd say the biggest is the confidence. And it's a mistake that I made earlier in my career where I thought I should know more about investing. My coworker, he sounded so confident and was talking about this like brilliant investing idea. And I just did it feeling shameful. I didn't understand and lost a lot of money. Um, so I think the wow. confidence holds wow. us back from learning and knowing that we can do this and we've got this and women are actually better investors than men statistically when we do invest. So um, I'd say the confidence, just kind of the, you know, we have a lot on our plates. So not taking this area on and kind of handing it off, whether that's to the colleague's advice or to a partner or 
sometimes to our parents, um, would be one of the biggest mistakes too. That's really interesting that you mentioned that about investing because so many of the questions that we got from listeners were about investing. And so I, and I think, and people are at different stages of it. There are some people who ask like, where do I even start? Which I would love to hear your take on. Then there are other people who are like, okay, I feel like I have the basics. Like I'm funding my 401k, I'm maxing it out. I've got a high yield savings account. Like what now, where do I go? What's the like 2.0 version if I kind of have investing 101? But starting at the beginning, like if somebody is just saying, you know, where do I start or, you know, good resources or what would you say to them? Yes. So investing is something I get very passionate about because it's really important for building wealth. And it's something that I, again, not feeling confident, we're not getting started. And if we don't invest, we're missing out on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars over the course of our lifetime. And the earlier we start investing, the longer our money has to grow and compound. And it's like a exponential, an exponential curve. And it's really fun. You know, I, I get teased about my idea of fun, but to look at a calculator and see, (laughs) (laughs) like if I'm investing a thousand dollars over the course of of 50 years, like, what does that look like? And the numbers can be really shocking. So um, I'd say starting with get really excited about investing and realizing it's really difficult to just save your way to wealth and save your way to retirement or to building those funds. We want to be having our money grow and work for us. The best place to start. So I am a big fan of a very boring investing strategy, which is good. <laughs> um, I, you know, we, I have a, I do a lot of other things with my day. Like I'm not reading company 401k or um, 10ks and seeing like what are the earnings. I do follow generally the news, but um, you know, I don't think there's sometimes this idea that you have to be watching like the investing channel all day to be reading articles about it, and you really don't. Um, I'd say a few misconceptions about investing are that you need a lot of money to get started to invest and you really don't. You can start, there's so many websites that have no minimums. You can buy fractional shares um, or buy one share of, for example, the S&P 500, which is the largest 500 companies in the US for $200, $250. And now you own 500 different companies. Um, So you definitely do not have to have a lot of money to invest. I would say before you put a lot of your discretional savings toward investing, I'd have some boxes checked. Um, First, you want to have your short-term needs met. So you want to have some rainy day fund. Start with that one month, $1,000 in case of a crisis. But then we want to build that up to three months. Some might want six months. But of those expenses, in case we lose our job or someone gets sick or we want to take some time. So that we want to keep that in cash. Right now, with rates where they are, high-yield savings accounts are earning some nice interest. So even though we want that money not real invested, it can be earning 4%, 5% interest. Um, Then paying off high-interest credit card debt. I prioritize that over getting started with investing just because the interest we're paying on that is so much higher than we'll probably earn in the market because 
on average, it's like 15, 20, 25% that we're seeing on our credit cards. So getting, focusing on that first. Um, and then definitely from there, um, any other short-term things that you want to have cash for, I like to think about investing as money that I don't need in the short term. It's something that I can let grow because a lot of the risk with investing is that we are human and that <laughs> when, instead of, so for example, if we can wait out the market, let's say the market goes down for a little bit and we don't need that money. We could just wait, hold on, wait for it to come back up. And over the long term, like the last 30, 50 years, the S&P 500 has returned over 8%, like 8.2. Um, so you're, you're probably going to do okay, but it's when things go down, we need that cash now. We're cashing out when the market is down is when, um, or just out of fear because we're not sure that's, that's when our behavior, that behavior side, or just planning um, gets in the way of that financial success. Yeah. I, my brother helped me with my investing and in a very boring way, like you said, like I have like a Charles Schwab account and I, he like picks out some things that I should do, but they're mostly mutual funds and like things like that. Right. But he told me I am only allowed to log into my Charles Schwab account once a mm -hmm. month. And I only am allowed to log in there to just make sure that like all of my auto things are doing what they're supposed to be doing and nothing looks weird mm -hmm. because he knows me and he knows that I would be like checking it and panicking as it goes up and down. And I even had to negotiate with him to get to once a month. He wanted it to be once a quarter. <laughs> once every 10 years. <laughs> yeah, literally. He, he literally was like, just put it in there and don't ever look at it. I'm like, that's not realistic. So right. tell me something that I can actually do. And then I will tell you that I panicked one month because I was saving to buy my condo. And I panicked and I took a bunch of money out and then it went back up. And I would have like lost money is the wrong word because – I still had the same amount, but like I would have gained much more had I left yeah. it in there. And it's funny because when you're reading the books or like hearing us talk about it, it's like, oh, I'd be fine. Like it's not going to bother me. But in the moment, it feels very different. And, and yes. or you're mm -hmm. watching the news and they're like, it's tanking. Things are going bad. You know, it's there's it's it, it is hard to keep emotions out of it. And I do think one of the best strategies if you feel like that will happen is to not look as often and you don't need to because it's it's a long-term strategy so like you mentioned low fee broadly diversified index funds um etfs are essentially how i invest um and i'd say like the boxes i mentioned if you do not have those checked it doesn't mean that you can't start by like for example you might spend a certain amount of money on a concert ticket or on a class. And you can do the same with investing. Like I'm putting aside this amount of money to learn how to invest and I'm going to open an account. And I, because there's one, there's definitely learning that can happen, but so much of it happens just by doing like, what does it feel like to actually hit buy to enter in how many shares? And so even if we set a little money aside to practice and get comfortable then once we have those boxes checked, we're ready to ramp up and we're feeling more confident. Um, I, so I have a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question of like, I give you a dollar amount and I want you to break it down where to sure. distribute? 
Does that work? Yeah, okay. That works so just for simple math, let's say you got $1,000 a month that you can afford to spread out and you have no credit card debt. How would you tell this person to spread it out between 401k, Roth IRA, savings, whatever? Yes. So it, I would, I kind of think of it as like a waterfall. It depends on what your goals are. So, and that's like the most annoying answer, but I'm going to go through, I'll give you real, <laughs> real numbers, but like, let's say someone's goal is to buy a house or they're saving for a wedding, or they like to spend this much on travel every year. Like, and then how important that is to them. I think so much of our values should be reflected in our finances, but I'd say like purely financial, the first amount of savings goes towards that rainy day fund. If you have no debt and building that up. Um, once you have a little bit of that, I would, if you get 401k matching, really knock that out, maximize that because that is a hundred percent return right off the bat because you're putting in a thousand, your company's putting in a thousand. Um, yeah. Then- so quickly, so- can you, can you quickly just for those of you, for those people who maybe haven't heard of 401k matching, you mentioned a little bit your company puts in, but can you just give a little like, what is that in case anyone's yes. wondering? So 401k matching is a benefit, a retirement benefit that your company. So if you have a 401k, that is through your company. You cannot open a 401k on your own unless you have your own business. But it is a a company retirement plan. And some companies offer the benefit where when you put in a certain amount, they will match you a certain percentage or up to a certain percent. So usually it's quoted as your company matches 3%. So 100% of 3%. Um, So if you put 5% towards Mm -hmm. your 401k, your company would put 3%. If you put in 3% of your paycheck. paycheck. And if you put in 1%, they put in 1%. So it kind of maxes out at that 3%. And the match looks like, let's say you you have $100,000 in salary, then you you put in 3%, 3,000 is going to your 401k and your company is giving you 3000 into your 401k. And, you know, it's sometimes we'll think, oh, it's free money and it, and it is, but it's actually part of your compensation. That's like part of your payment from your company. So you want to make sure to take advantage of it. And it's just, it's not only that in our 401k, those contributions are tax advantaged. So I don't know how much we want to get into taxes, but. Well, I have a, I have a mini question with the 401k. I believe a lot of people make the mistake where the money goes into the 401k, but it also can just sit in the account if you don't decide what it goes into for the second step. And I've had friends make that mistake where they're like, turns out it was just cash sitting there, not then put into whatever mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera. So is that a true mistake? It's not automatic. Yeah. Who was in her 50s and never invested her retirement savings. So it is a- Oh, no. Yes, it's very important to whether it's in your IRA, which is your individual retirement account, you can open it on your own, your company 401k, to make sure that money is actually invested and growing and not sitting in like the money market or the cash in there. Definitely. And I also have a a minor PSA from personal unfortunate experience is that most companies have a vesting schedule with the money that they're matching you, meaning that you have to be with the company for a certain amount of time before that money is yours. Even if it's sitting in your account, you will not get to take it with you when you leave until a certain amount of time, usually. Yes. There's you know usually what that time vested, is. not invested. 
Yes. Right. Look up when that time is and don't quit your job two weeks before the date. Just don't oh. do it. <laughs> oh, geez. I, I actually have a just a somebody funny... might somebody might have done that once and it, it might have lost them a significant amount of money. <laughs> Wait, you don't get any of it back or you don't get what they match? No. I oh None? what you match. Your money's always your money. But oh. the but the matched okay. money, I I quit a job that I had been maxing out my contribution percent. I thought I knew what the vesting schedule was and that I was past it and I was not. And I mm. decided my exit date and it was two weeks before I would have gotten that money. Oh, oh my God. Are you trying to give me a fucking heart attack on this pod? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all the money's gone? All of it? No. Your but money is always mine. your money. <laughs> she's like, I'm out on this investing stuff. I have not. I was like, oh, yeah, she just hangs, she just hangs it- up the call. <laughs> I'm putting it under my mattress. Fuck this. I'm out. (laughs) Curious though, what? Because it sounds like you planned it so carefully. Uh, How did the date? How was it wrong? I thought that it was a. I thought that it was a two-year schedule, and we had switched. We had Mm. updated. We had switched 401k companies, and it was a two-year vesting schedule. But they updated us. Updated us to a. I think two and a half year. They changed the vesting schedule. Oh and goodness. I technically knew that. I'd been told. But like in my mind, I still had this two-year mark in my head. And so like right. I thought that I had passed it, well past it. And I didn't. And then when I went to go into that account to roll it over into my IRA, because once I left the company, I wanted to put it into my IRA that I invest on my own. And I went to roll it over and it was a different number than I was expecting. Oh my goodness. I think too. So there's a lot of like these, there's a way to maximize our money and there's a lot of words we're using and jargon and just, uh, it's so much better to do it than to not, and not do it perfectly than to not do it at all. I, when I was in my first job, they had a Roth 401k option and a traditional. I didn't know what that meant. So I did 50, 50. And then they had 25 investment options. I didn't know. I heard diversifying was good. So I split up my contributions by all 25 in both accounts. (laughs) And so I had like 50 funds in, well, 25 in each one. But, and, you know, it was a very complicated and necessarily, obviously every choice was not right for me, but it was so much better than I did it than if I had not done it. And so I think if ever at any point in our conversation, it's like, oh my gosh, this is too much. This is overwhelming. It doesn't like, you can kind of just get in the game and do some things right. Um, And over time you can learn and adjust, but it's so much better to get in than to, um, and of course you want to learn. I have in my book, there's two chapters on investing, um, seven and eight, they're on retirement and investing. And if I really think it's all you need to know to feel confident and be investing well. And so there, I, you know, there's a lot of extra information out there, but you do want to have some, but I think in general, it's, it's so much better to, there's just so much that if you wait till you know everything, you're never going to get started. Yeah. A lot of companies also, and not every company advertises this as well as others, but a lot of companies also offer support and, and training or your 401k company that your company partners with might offer support that's totally free and included in the benefit. 
and you just don't know about it. And they'll walk you through it and, and ask you what your goals are and, and help you. Right. Yeah. And I, my only advice for choosing funds as well with when you get that advice is just look at the expenses. Um, there's an expense ratio on every single fund and you can like control F on the page. What's the expense ratio? And it's in a percentage. So what happens is that that expense ratio, let's say it's 1%. Every time, every year, 1% of your balance that is in that fund will be what is charged as far as expenses. And so the lower that number is, the better. And that's, um, yeah, we can get into like the more technicality, but I think sometimes when you are talking to the 401k provider, they might, they shouldn't, but they might be fans of the funds that their companies put together and they might be the more expensive mm. ones. So that's a um, good tip. Just something to look out for. So I, it was interesting. You said like, if there's something you want to save for, like, let's say you have no rainy day fund and your goal is five grand. Your advice is do the thousand dollars a month right into that fund first. And don't worry about the diversify part. Okay. Oh, the, now. wait, the five grand of savings, just cash. Yes. Like yeah. I, the theory was a thousand a month and you were like, Hey, if there's no savings starting at zero, build up that savings first. Don't worry about yes. the invested into whatever. Yes. Okay. Now let's say you hit your savings mark. You got a hit for whatever it was. Now, after that, how do you feel like you should divide that thousand dollars? So even before the five on the savings, I would have some, but then do the 401k match. And that's where we kind of went off track because we went on the phone. 401k matching rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I would say some savings, 401k match maxed out, finish up the savings, that rainy day fund. Then I would say re ideally retirement. If you have, and this is where it's really helpful to talk to people individually, because if someone is like, I want to buy a house so badly, or, um, you know, there's a point where deciding on credit card debt is, is more simple, like always pay that down before investing, but student loans with where their interest rates can be, it, it often makes a lot of sense to invest while you're paying down your loans. So, but if someone is like my student loan, like there are people who are fine making payments for years and years on their medical debt and their, their student loans debt for medical school. And it doesn't bother them. And that's great. And then there's others who are like, I'm prioritizing this over anything else. It just causes me so much distress. And so that's where, yeah, you can look at what is the interest rate that I could earn on investing versus the interest rate I'm paying? What is what, what do I think that will look like? But it's also important to take into account like our emotions, what's important to us, what, what will actually make us feel the best too. Okay. But I feel like this is the hard part, right? Is people feeling like, I don't know how the fuck to figure out that percent. And then I think yeah. the next question is like, who can I talk to? And how do you know you have a good financial advisor to help you make these decisions? Yes. Great question. So for, I like to work backwards for certain things. So for example, for retirement, how much should I, I like to think about goals. So we had that rainy day fund. We know that that's three to six months think as depressing as it is, think about some emergency situations, how much would make you feel comfortable. And that changes. Like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of us 
thought we had enough in our savings and we're like, this is becoming too real. I actually want to have four or five, six months. So always be checking in maybe once a year on that. But the savings, mm-hmm. then let's say another goal is to retire someday. Um, to actually use, a, so there are some calculators online that you can use, but thinking about and generally um, putting 15% away will get you to that goal. It's a big number. Um, and retirement is a, a very big goal and can sometimes feel really daunting when we do these calculators. And so I say start where you can. And I'm a big fan of the sneaky sneak up where like every couple months increase it by 1%. And it's 1% of your pre-tax salary. So it feels a lot less painful than 1% of your post-tax salary. The goal, let's say you're you're like, I don't want to deal with these calculators. I can't, Ash, we're not going there. Try to get to that 15%. But it is really helpful to look at calculators and say, okay, this is what I already have saved for retirement. This is what I want to earn in retirement. And I think it can be very motivating to think about what you want your retirement to look like, because it can feel so far off that, well, not only that, when you think about what you want your retirement to look like, you can incorporate some of those things into your life now, because we live life now too. Um, But then also it connects us to what that time would be like and makes it a little bit more motivating to put money aside. But in the calculator, you say, this is how much I want to earn. Sometimes the calculators will just take like 80% of what you're earning now. And then based on what you have already, when you want to retire and what you want to be earning, it will say how much you want to be contributing now. And so it can kind of give you that number that you're looking for. Like, this is the goal I want to hit. Um, And then, okay, what are the other goals? And so I kind of break down goals in that way. Like, I want to save for a house in 10 years. This is the kind of house I want to buy. This is what that down payment will be if it's that cost. Um, And then when I have that mortgage, which who knows what mortgage rates will be in 10 years, but that's kind of, I work that way versus, um, so it's like taking steps towards a specific number. But it is hard to prioritize. Like after you max out your retirement, it, it is just everything else. And how do you how do you prioritize? Is mm-hmm. the house more important to you or taking the annual trip or um, kids call it, you know, whatever the different goals are. Yeah, so it's interesting you brought up the calculators because we did get somebody ask the question, should I be using like these robotic apps for investing and specifically which one? And like, I personally use Wealthfront for some of my investing. And what I really loved is I'd log in and it says, this is if you retired at 55, 65, like this is about the money that your net worth would be. And it was, I thought it was great that I got to link like my Fidelity account that had my Roth IRA and stock account and my savings and my checking and my credit cards. Like it had everything in one place. But I'm curious to get your opinion. How do you feel about these apps? And is there anyone you think is better than the other? So the app, the app like Wealthfront is a robo advisor and I'm a huge fan of them. You pay a small management fee, a lot smaller than you'd pay if you had a financial advisor managing your money. And they do a lot of, they invest, choose your investments based on a quiz that you take. I think a lot of those automations where you're seeing the calculations are really helpful. 
you can definitely do a lot of those things manually. For example, you could invest for yourself. Um, you could take inventory of every account and put it into, you know, a calculator, but I love that it makes it easy and anything that we can make easy and anything where you can see that trajectory is just so motivating. And it, there's something that feels very calming about having, you know, this expert robo robo, right. That they've created, <laughs> um, that humans have created to tell you what to do, you know, and tell you what the best, um, allocation is for you. So I am a fan. And I think um, if you, for example, if you're someone who won't invest until you talk to a person, then it's good to talk to a person. Or if you want that ease and want to see everything in one place and want to have someone invest for you, but you're cool with the robo, that's great too. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of those, those type of apps. They're also just like apps where it would be like your Fidelity account, but it's just a different company where you're choosing the investments. I think for me, there's so many apps. The thing I like to look at is, especially when you're choosing your own investments, is just look at the fees. Because when we're paying fees, like if there's a cost to trade or a cost to have, you know, there's, um, those are things that eat our earnings, especially when we're starting and it's like, seven dollars to make a trade and i'm making a twenty dollar trade you know so um the, to look out for those type of things or look out for those high fee funds but um i'm a fan and I, I think a lot of them are great so i don't have any particular favorite robo advisor i interviewed wealthfront for my book so oh interesting great. I yeah. love that. Yeah, I, I like them a lot. And I also use their high saving, high yield savings account, which to your point, like the interest rates on high yield savings account, I feel like I get an email every single day that it's going up. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great. So I was just thinking too, to your question about speaking with someone and some things that are very important to look out for. Um, just know how people like are Like choosing an advisor to like help you invest. And choosing an advisor. I'd say um, ask if they have a fiduciary responsibility. Um, that means that they have to make recommendations that are in your best interest. This is kind of mind boggling, but a lot of financial professionals have what's called a suitability standard. So they, they don't have to recommend what's best, but they just have to recommend something that's not harmful. It's suitable. Um, so you want to ask if they have that fiduciary responsibility. I personally, this year just got my, um, CFP. So I think it's a, it was very rigorous education. There's the fiduciary responsibility. Um, so if anyone has that CFP on their name, I think that's a really great credential to get advice from them. Um, I also think like how you interact with them is important. If, if I've noticed, with our generation, a lot of us kind of inherit our parents' financial advisors and the parents are like the real client. We're just kind of like the annoying tag along that they're like, yeah, yeah, like just do what I say, like not answering our question, you know? So I think yeah. I've seen that but with a lot sense, of clients. it makes sense because, you know, you want to trust, right? I feel like that's the biggest yeah. problem here is you're just like, if I know nothing, and especially if my parents knew nothing, how do I know I can trust the person in front of me? And, and how do you and even you want, shop around what to even look for? So I'm sorry, I cut you off, but this is, this is so interesting to me. I love this. Yeah. So the, the fiduciary, um, the CFP is great. And then 
just the willingness to answer questions. If you ever feel like belittled by your questions or like they're not taking the time to really explain things, like even if you're hiring someone to help you, you still want to understand what's happening with your money. It's your money. And um, if they're not willing to take the time to help you understand that, then that's a red flag for me. Yeah. I think it's the fiduciary responsibility is something that I had not heard before that I think it, it makes sense now that you're saying it, especially going back to your recommendation about the expense rate on different options for investing. And when you talk to somebody, they might recommend one that's fine and to use the, the appropriate word suitable, but yeah. not technically in your best interest versus other ones that have lower expense rates. Exactly. And like but knowing where harmful, people are getting like, their commissions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, what's their motivation? Is their motivation that your money grows as much as it can for you? Or is their motivation that they get paid from this commission? Exactly. And do they like legally have to tell you that? Because right now I'm thinking like, how out of pocket would it be if I asked my financial advisor to show me their investment accounts? <laughs> is that like I don't... allowed? <laughs> Because that'd be my biggest fucking question is like, let me see how you did your stuff. And if it looks good to me, maybe I'm more trusting. I don't know. I don't know if that's like a crazy question that I'd get kicked out of any financial <laughs> office. Uh, I can't, no, like, if no. I even thought. But I was like, is that out of pocket to be like, can you show me, you know, where you put the majority of your money? Like, I, I honestly think this is like, a this should be a campaign. Like, fine. Because <laughs> I do think financial professionals is like the lowest trusted industry for many reasons. Right. And so I think if it was like this, show me your investments campaign, like that could be very cool to see you, you know? Yeah. Well, um, you know, like to be honest, when I started my account, I copied people I knew. They sat with me and said, this is where I put my money. I've done it for 30 years. It got me this much total. And I appreciated that because it made me trust yeah. what I was doing and the decisions I was making. And if I hadn't had those people and those connections, I would have done none of it. I would have had all this cash in my checking, not having any idea what to do with it. Cause that fear of like, I'm going to put it in the market and then what the fuck happens, you know? Yeah. And we yeah, work really that's, hard and to that's the reason that I have my brother do it. Oh yeah, exactly. But yeah, the reason I have my brother do it, my brother is a CFA level three. So like he knows what he's doing. So I'll basically be like, all right, what are you doing with your money? And just do whatever, whatever you're doing. And then if you change your mind about something, tell me about it. Right. Like, I want to know yeah. what you're doing. Call me. But, well, yeah, literally, yeah. Well, because one thing I'm curious on this subject, right? Isn't there a specific job title that their job is selling the mutual funds of a specific thing or like the stock of a specific thing? So they're technically That's what my advisors. Brother does. But, oh, well, no good. Right? <laughs> but, you know, like, is that, is that, sorry, the question you asked earlier, is that the question that weeds that out too? Or is there like a specific job title? we should kind of look for. Yeah. So if they're, if they are, I know for just from my experience, if they are a CFP, they can work for, let's say a company that where they're going to say always choose our mutual funds, for example, but they have to disclose it. So there's this disclosure, like I make money off this. Here are other mm. options, you know? Um, and the, so I think there just is transparency there doesn't mean that they're barred from doing that, but they would be explaining that to you. Interesting. And, yeah, because I feel yeah. like like I have a Fidelity account, right? And I remember I had some questions. My dad said, call them. They have these resources. Someone will talk to you. And my first concern was like, well, I feel like they're just going to tell me the Fidelity things to do because it's the same fucking company. Like, 
you know i was like i want yes. like a ghost writer to come in and be total like, third neutral third party yeah i want i want the bernie sanders of financial stocks who's like i'm not backed by any of these corporations and this is what i think <laughs> you should do you know what i mean like someone like that where you're like good whatever yeah. i do is not going to actually put money directly in your pocket so i trust it more you know I don't know. Right. That's that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Fidelity <laughs> does now Fidelity. have <laughs> has low fee funds that so they a lot of the companies have so for example I mentioned the S&P 500 already. That's like a great way to just invest in the market. It's it's a very representative of different different industries and different, you know, all over the map so you're not only invested in airlines and then there's a pandemic and it's like so you're you're kind of <laughs> Um, which is diversified. Um, and so a lot, all these companies have their own version of that. So Fidelity has their S&P 500 fund. Vanguard has their S&P 500 fund. Schwab has their S&P 500 fund. And a lot of times it's free to trade. If you have a Fidelity account, it's free to trade Fidelity ETFs, but not other company ETFs necessarily. So you can look and see, and most of these are low fee, like all those three I named have great low fee options, but you technically could look across and see which is the lowest, but like, I think these are getting into, I think Fidelity actually has no fee funds, which that was the first. They do, they I have ever, two of them. And I put, yeah. that's where I put majority of my stuff in. Yeah. yeah but I've never it's seen this that. game, like if I want to buy the Vanguard fund, then I've had people tell me open a Vanguard account and do it through there because of these fees. Exactly. But a lot of times, like all this feels overwhelming where people are like, I kind of just want to see it in one place. Yeah. So now I, your money's in like five different places and right, you have to figure right. out. Yeah. And it's but I'm curious, do you feel like, is that actually a good thing though? To be like, hey, if you're going to do the Vanguard fund, open the Vanguard. You're going to do the Fidelity, open the Fidelity. Like, do you feel like that is good to have like multiple accounts or? I'm a fan of keeping it simple. So if before opening your account, if you're in that place where you're deciding, Think, look at the funds that you're interested in investing in and go with that broker. A lot of times, when if you're interested in a Vanguard fund, Fidelity would have the same fund, similar. Um, maybe a different expense ratio a little bit, maybe slightly different, but you probably could find, especially at this point, there's, they all have so many funds, something that's in the ballpark. Or you 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 if you really love this Vanguard fund, let's say it has like this special thing that like maybe it's an ESG fund that only invests in um, like ESG stands for environmental social governance. So it's companies that have met a certain criteria and it can be for the environment or how they treat their employees. And there's, they could be rated in that way. Then you can just do it at some point. I think sometimes when we get, this happens with 401ks too. When we change companies, we have like all these accounts everywhere and it just gets really complicated. Um, so I'm a fan of keeping it simple, but if there's something that you love and you're like, I'm going to be investing in this every week, then maybe it's worth it to have an account somewhere else. Um, but as far as like it being safe, most of the, every place that you invest should be SPIC insured, which means up to probably, I think it's 500,000. I was going to say, is this similar to like when you have a savings or a checking, the bank only insures you to a certain dollar amount. So like yes. if you have passed that dollar amount, yeah. you actually are taking a big risk. If that bank went under, you would only get like 200K or whatever the limit is. Yes. Because that's so what just like, happened with, what was the bank that went under? SVP? SoFi. Yeah. And, yeah. And then, and then the, yeah, what was the other one? Yeah. 
yeah, the um, the it's the FDIC is for savings, and it's two hundred fifty thousand. But if you have a joint account, five hundred thousand, and then SPIC is the same for investing. It's not if your investments go down, but it's if the bank can't actually give you your money because they go under. Which the chances are, you know, it's it's happening. It's in some places, but very low. But for example, your Wealthfront account, I think it's up to $2 million. So there's not, for many of us, there's not a need to have money in different places for that reason. It's more if um, you picked a brokerage account and now yeah. you're investing in funds that now you're getting charged fees. So, you know, we've talked a ton about investing and, you know, I think I personally have learned a lot um, and I think, you know, really talking about how to start and all that stuff. But we also got a lot of questions from listeners who are not feeling like they're in a place yet where they have that bucket of disposable income or, you know, discretionary income that they can spend on investing and are curious in terms of creating a spending plan or creating a budget that you're going to really actually be able to stick to or that works for you. What are what are some of your top tips for that? I'd say my First tip is to reframe how we think of budgeting. I think when I heard the word budget, still when I hear it, it can feel really restricting or like I have to say no to myself all the time. It's going to limit my fun. But really what it is, is when you say spending plan, it's this plan that we can allocate our money in the way that's going to make us the happiest in the short and in the long term. So that's why I call them happiness allocations. And the way I think about it is, yes, there are some cases or there are many who don't get to budget for things that are not needs. But if we are spending on things that are wants and we have them in the plan and the plan works, it removes a lot of the guilt and we actually get to enjoy them more. So thinking of this as like, this is a gift. This is a plan that's letting me spend my money or showing me how I'm spending my money so I can allocate it in the way that's going to bring me the most joy. And then I'd say from there, awareness is the biggest thing because it is so easy to not have any idea where our money is going. And sometimes we don't want to know. And other times it's just it's just very easy to spend money. We're not handing over cash now. We're swiping credit cards. We're hitting buttons. We're, we hop into an Uber or a Lyft and there's no actual transaction. And so I'd say one of the biggest things I see is that when I say, how much do you spend on this? Someone might feel very confident. Like I spend 200 a week on groceries. And when we actually dive into the numbers, it's very different. So awareness is big. And then I'd say the other big thing for budgeting is, there's a lot of big things, but we tend to budget or make spending plans for the week or for the month. And there are things that happen less frequently, like a vacation or the holidays or an annual expense, or even if you get, you know, if you color your hair, that can be a, a, every few months, then that's expensive. Um, these bigger expenses completely throw off our budget if we don't set aside money for them throughout the year. So we might think, oh, I had a hundred dollars extra this week, but when I have that vacation this summer or have to buy that flight, where is that money going to come from? It ends up either getting pulled from savings or going on a credit card. And then we're like, now working backwards to pay that off. So I'm a big fan of creating sinking funds. Mm. And that is setting aside money with a specific purpose to sink it. 
So I have one for travel. I have one for my kids camp. (laughs) Um, I have one for like my dog's vet. Um, So putting aside money each and every month or each and every week, however, someone likes to do it each paycheck um, based on what I think I'm going to be spending in that category that year. Uh, I'm curious, similar to what we talked about earlier. I know there's a lot of apps and stuff that help with this. And when I made like, God, I made like no money when I first moved to New York. I think I made like 32K. I was like religiously using, I think it was like mint.com. And like now one of the mm-hmm. newer ones is like rocket money. Do, mm-hmm. do you have any advice? Like with those things, do you think it's great to just go look, really get that reality check? Where's the money going? Should you really use it religiously? Like, I'm curious what your, what your opinion on that would be. So I would say if you are feeling like the awareness is something that's, for most of us, we need the awareness. Then you would, I think the apps are great. You just want to make sure at first that you actually are entering it in the amount because there's something about, so something that I have people do in the 30 day money cleanse, which was my first book and program is keeping a money journal where you write down like a food journal, like everything that you're spending. And not only does that bring awareness, but sometimes it has us not do something because we have to write it down. And so I'd say while once our budget is set up and working apps like mint or rocket money, there are so many. And it's, I think a lot of it is personal preference. I don't have any that I'm still like a spreadsheet, Google sheet gal. Um, But there's, it's (laughs) that if it's syncing automatically, then it's not really giving us that awareness. And, but even with mint, like you have to read categories recategorize sometimes like when I yeah when I bought my husband Justin's wedding band it was like you spent 99% of your money at bars I was like what and it was because it was De Beers (laughs) (laughs) like I don't think I had that crazy (laughs) so you still have to go through what the hell yeah yeah but it Um, made it easy because it would automatically categorize most of it because something I was then doing was like, I would print out my credit card statement every month and bank statement and highlight and do my own spreadsheet. And like, just to be like, where's the money going? And I, I was psycho about it for a while where it was like some months I was in the red and some months I was in the green where it was like, you actually saved 500 bucks this month, this month you went over whatever dollars. Um, so I, it's interesting to hear. Cause I'm like, we all, that's a beautiful idea to be like, we have this account that is the sinking money that, we put it in that account and we know it's going to be gone and we're happy it's going to be gone. But and we're like, often, great, I spent that money. Right. But often you all sit there and, and I feel all my friends say this where you're like, where the fuck did my money go? Where did it go? And and you're like, it wasn't my fault. And then you do this, one of these apps and you're like, it was absolutely my fault. It was, was 100%. I am the only one whose fault it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I was thinking of so. when you were saying going through the expenses. It's like, how is this number actually me oh it adds up okay but it's also good to look through because there's fraud or like there's can be mistaken charges or fraud so it is good to always scan your statements because it can save you a lot of money sometimes a restaurant will just charge twice by accident and you'll catch it uh i'm curious how do you feel about the like spending advice that is what you're going to spend on is what you're going to spend on and a lot of times we try to change our habits and kind of a realistic approach like here's a habit i have that i actually don't mind cutting back and the coffee every day i can keep in 
How do you feel about that advice? I've heard that a lot. So just so I understand, you're saying that like change your habits versus don't change your habits. Well, it's like, like you said in the beginning, right? A lot of times it's this negative thing where you're like, I need to cut back. I need to cut back on so many things Mm -hmm. and really cut back on my joy. Right. And I've heard the Mm -hmm. advice that people say, get real of what things really bring you that joy and what things you're willing to make yourself cut back on. So I'm curious, like, what advice would you give that's along these lines? Do you agree with that or, or not? Yes. So I think this is really important. And so in the money cleanse, we, we let go of, so I think language is very important and cut can feel like, ugh, again, like taking it out. So I say, let go, like we're releasing it to have more money for other things. Um, And then we add back in things that will bring us joy. So I'm a proponent of frugal joys. They're freer and expensive things that bring us joy. And you can add unlimited of them into your life because they're not really adding much to the spending. Um, But I also am a a fan of looking at the opportunity cost. So like you mentioned a habit like coffee or um, buying lunch out, or I was taking my son every couple days to get like a croissant. And for some reason going to the store to get a croissant and a coffee was like $10. So looking at not just what that habit or that thing that brings you joy costs in that moment, but looking at it on an annual basis, I think can be really powerful because, and it's not to, there's no shame in it. There's not like, you should never do that or, but it's, is there something you would rather be doing with that money when you add it up and see what it costs? And that was, that was me. Like I, I really was spending like $1,500 a year on coffee. And if that's worth it to someone, that's great. But to me at the time, I was like, I can't afford to go on vacation. And then I realized I actually could. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) looking at, okay, this is what this thing costs me every year. Is that worth it to me? Or would I rather move it around to something that will bring me more joy? I think that's a very powerful exercise. And also if there are those things that you're not able to fully spend on the way you want, you can think of that every time you make a purchase. And when I was trying to save up to quit my corporate job and run the fiscal femme full-time, every expense was like, do I want to have clothes or do I want to put this in my (laughs) runway for my business? (laughs) And I really did never spend money because it was so motivating to build up that, I called it project freedom to like have that savings. So I think that's a very helpful way to think of money because sadly we can only spend each dollar one time or save it, you know, but um, it's a good way to help our decision-making. I really love that perspective because I've always been a spender, not a saver in my own mind. Like I I like buying things and spending money and, and that kind of thing. And it really helped me when I was trying to figure out what I wanted my goals to be for investing and saving in retirement to think about it from the, in that reverse, like you said, of I'm not telling myself I can't spend money on stuff. I'm just going to decide what I want to spend money on. So like a, a good example in my personal life is I used to go to more concerts than I go to now. Erica mm-hmm. knows I'm not a huge concert person. Like it's not something that I allocate a lot of my money to. I like them. I've been to one with her. We had a ton of fun. But like I used to go to more just because I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll go to the concert, you know, whatever. And then I kind of realized that is not bringing me as much joy as, say, a volleyball trip. 
or, you know, whatever else I was spending money money on, even though I liked it. It was kind of like a, one of those, I think I'm just spending money on this because everybody else is going. Yes. But like I can allocate it to something else that I would enjoy even more. Yeah. Yes. But I think that's sometimes where it gets hard, right? Everybody else is doing it. Like the coffee mm. every day in the office, if you really break down the habit, it often is you are getting to leave the office with a friend yeah. from the office and you get to have little catch up time and like say it's for your mental health or whatever. Like that's where you get your like joy from the office is linked to this coffee. Yeah. So then the debate's like, well, do you just go on the coffee run and not get one? And that's how you save like, or you just, you know, when you really think about it, you break it down. Like it's because I like that. That's such an easy way to like get to know my coworkers better. You know, mm -hmm. someone throws up, Oh, I'm doing a coffee errand. You're like, Oh, I want to come with, or, Ooh, we're grabbing lunch here. I've been that person. Like my lunch is in the fridge, mm -hmm. but oh, everybody else is going. And I'm like, fuck it. I'll eat that lunch tomorrow. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I decided the opportunity was worth it to like build the relationship, you know? No, just our coworkers have a huge impact on our, on our spending for sure. And I do think that in that situation where you're getting coffee with coworkers, it has so much value that that would be a case for doing it. And there is also, it's not like do it every day or don't do it, right? There's like doing it once a week makes a huge difference if you're getting lunch out once a week or even bringing your, if you're getting lunch out every day and now you're bringing lunch once a week, like that can make a big difference. So, and also a, a nice side effect is when we do things less frequently, they actually feel more special. So it will feel more special when you grab lunch once a week with your coworkers versus like every day. Um, but I, I totally understand that feeling. And um, for me, one of them was just shopping. I just thought, you know, like, mm -hmm. That's what people do. They go into stores, they walk around, they like, like things. And I was like, I actually hate this. <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> so that was one well, that I realized this does not bring me joy. That's like Rent the Runway for me. I spend money on Rent the Runway every month. And that's probably more than some people spend on shopping every month. For me, though, I was spending more on shopping before because I just like having new stuff. And mm -hmm. so I was able to find this thing where I can get new stuff all the time and spend a lot less. But And like that works for me. But somebody who doesn't like shopping, they would be spending more if they were buying Rent the Runway every month. So it's like, it's so it's so personal. Right. And I, I actually do Rent the Runway too. I love it. It's just the, it's, I, it's nice because if you don't, if you, you just, I just would notice that there is this feel, like you're after this feeling you get the thing and then it's like, doesn't bring you that joy that you want. But if you're renting it, yeah. you can rent the fun thing and wear it for a week and then you're done. You can just rent the joy. Yeah. Send it back. Rent the joy. Well, it sounds like that's like something you've figured out a compromise, right? Totally. Like, I get the joy and I got to save money. So maybe yes. that's, that's kind of the game with all this stuff is going where, where's the compromise in the middle that I get what I wanted at the same time, but also can cut it back. I call yeah, that fabulously so frugal. Not that Rent the Runaway is frugal at all, Ooh. but this idea that like, how can I keep the fabulous of this of something? So like what, and it, it's helpful to dig into what about something is important. So for example, if you love traveling, like maybe it's not that important to you to stay in a fancy hotel, or maybe you love the fancy hotel, but you're, you don't really care about being in that expensive neighborhood or you know, like what about these things are important and really honoring the important parts. 
and letting go of the not important parts that we might be doing just out of habit or because other people do it or we're just not aware. And that could really cut down the cost and allow for more of it or more for other things. Okay. So this is something that I'm more on like the saving side. And it's something that I'm actually changing about my habits to be a little more spendy with. Let's let's do a basic example. Like there's a candle. I really love the scent. It is my favorite scent. But the candle I really love is $30. And I say to myself, well, Erica, you could go to Home Goods, TJ Maxx, and buy three candles for the price of that candle. Or just buy one, and it's not the thing I love. It's not the thing I love. I like it. I don't love it, right? I've done that with like candles, with like a foundation where I'm like, this is the expensive foundation. Like, I'm not going to use it every day because I'm going to save it for special occasions and I'm going to buy the cheap foundation and that's for whatever. I'm curious, how do you feel about those dilemmas where it's like, should you go with the thing that's a little more expensive, but what you truly loved and just use the thing you love? Or do you make that compromise and go for the thing that is less money, but it doesn't fully give you that joy like we're talking about? Yes, it's a very good question. So there are some people where, and it's helpful for us to like be more aware and experience more pain when we're paying for things. There are others, and this happens, I do think there's like a savings bug that you catch and it's like a switch where it actually becomes fun to save, right? And it could be fun or just could be like, fulfilling this need for safety or um, stability. And for it, when we're in that side of it, we sometimes want to reduce the pain that we feel so that we can treat ourselves and we can enjoy things. I would say in that scenario, it's really important for me to know like what their financial situation is. If you are meeting your savings goals on time and this is like, and you're going where you want, um, buy when you want, like, and this is just because you can't help but be more frugal, then I would encourage like testing out what is it like to, to treat yourself and enjoy that. And I have found that money is its own complicator. So sometimes when we are in that camp of it's hard to pick the more expensive thing or hard to treat ourselves to even like treat ourselves to things that are not expensive. So for example, like doing something completely unproductive just for us that is like not on the to-do list. Like, does that have any struggle and like practicing these, this treat without money and then adding money to it, I think could be helpful. Mm -hmm. And then in some cases we almost end up spending more by choosing the thing that we don't love. So I would also look at that too. Like, are you actually saving money? Um, and if you're not, yeah. then definitely go with the thing you love. Um, because it's kind of like when you eat the low fat cookie, <laughs> you eat like five <laughs> cookies, you're like, oh, I'm not satisfied, you know? Um, yeah. So I would analyze it a little more, but those are kind of things to think about, I'd say. Okay. Cause often in this scenario, this is what I end up doing. Like makeup is such a perfect example for me. I have the expensive foundation. I have the cheap drugstore foundation. And I will never use the expensive one because I keep being like, we're saving that. And then in my head, I'm like, the money was already gone. You already bought the expensive thing. Like, use it. Like, I I technically spent more money buying two than just buying one, (laughs) use it till it's fucking gone, and then buy another one. Like, but in your brain, you go, I'm saving money because I'm saving the foundation. And it also is a perfect example because like, the foundation doesn't last seven years. But I've (laughs) had one in my bag for like years where I'm like, 
actually you wasted your money you wasted your money you bought the thing you let it sit there what are you doing so that's that's like my personal journey with money currently where i'm like if you buy the nice thing erica just use the nice thing use don't nice feel thing. like you wasted it for whatever also, like, reason you know? how much would it actually cost you a year to just use the nice foundation like what is the price increase because exactly i do this with like my my beauty services like I try to get that extra weekend before I get my brows done or my hair cut. And like, I hate, I don't want to record on those weeks and it's just like a mess. And I'm like, really, how much would it cost me to go every four weeks instead of waiting that fifth week? And I, I tallied it up. It was like $160 a year. And I'm like, you're being silly, you know, like just feel good all the time and have do right. your appointments. But sometimes we feel like we're saving more money than we are. Right. And it's, I don't have the data on it because I'm not using it every fucking day. So you know what? This is just, this episode was a sign this, to use the good foundation whenever I want. I'm like very this curious. Is like what Please happens. report back. Yeah. I also want to know what, what is your fancy foundation? So I recently switched to the, the Lady Gaga one, actually. I went, I went to Sephora. Oh. I treated myself of, well, this is what happened. I lost my makeup bag, so I had to. And I went to Sephora and I was like, give me a good basic everyday whatever i needed a good foundation match me it was the one that matched me the best i went with it and it's like i think it's like 48 dollars, you know as opposed to what a drugstore one that's like 14 dollars or something like that 12 15 yeah you know and another one i like is like a cc cream that's like thick that it's basically a foundation the it cosmetics and that one mm -hmm. is 38 dollars so it's also not like i'm literally like hundred dollars versus ten dollars <laughs> but in my brain you gotta save the nice one, you know? Like, that's my saver mentality, which, mm -hmm. like I said, once I found out makeup goes bad, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> the money already left the account. What are you doing? It it honestly sounds a lot like me and food. I do love to cook, but I get very tired and I don't end up doing it. And I used to, because cooking at home is much less expensive than ordering in or, you know, all this stuff. And so I used to have this mentality where, like, no, I have to go grocery shopping because meals that I cook are so much less expensive than meals that I order in. And then I realized that I was buying all this food that I was not cooking hmm. and then ordering in anyway because I was too tired. And now I've spent twice as much money because I also bought the groceries yep. and I'm ordering in. And so I ended up finding the, like a, another compromise where I have these like ready-made meals that I like that I bought that are more expensive than groceries and cooking, but less expensive than takeout. Mm. And so it's like a, an, an in-between where yeah. I'm not, like you said, Erica, about your foundation going bad, where I don't have like all these fresh vegetables in the fridge thinking I'm going to make a fucking crudite platter for myself <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah. And then, and then, and then they all go bad. Yeah. The damn mm -hmm. spring mix every time. Yes. Yes. Oh I God. like put the paper towel in, try to make it last longer. It's not, it's going bad. Yeah. Who am I kidding? I have a bag of kale in my fridge right now that needs to be thrown away. <laughs> See, it's an, a lot knowing yourself. And then like, I also think we're very go, go, go. So it's, we often aren't observing this, like even just having this conversation, like so many of those little things, you know, come to mind and then we adjust and find our compromises. Yeah. So hopefully people out there listening are thinking, you know, like, oh yeah, this thing for me. And hopefully this can, can spark some of that for our listeners. Use the candle. Use the foundation. Use the foundation. <laughs> if you get if you get one thing from this episode, use your fancy foundation. Yes. You know, everybody has something. They're like, I'm saving it, and I keep asking myself, for what, Erica? It's yeah, so true. What? 
I was doing that with like a fancy face mask. It went exactly. bad. See, exactly. Cosmetics is yeah. a perfect example. And I have that. I've, I've done it with every category of cosmetic, whatever self-care stuff you could do. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, I could, I mean, we could talk to you forever, obviously. This is so fun. I love uh, it so fun. But we should wrap it up. We should, yeah, eventually. We're like, yeah, eventually we should end. And the, but yeah. seriously, this was amazing, Ashley. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. It was so fun. And what are your two book titles again that you have? And um, plug your social media. Yes. The first book is The 30-Day Money Cleanse. It's all about budgeting, money mindset. It's a colorful workbook. Really fun. And then Financial Adulting is pretty much everything else. So I cover all the personal finance topics from taxes, investing, retirement, debt, state planning, you name it, um, and interview a lot of amazing experts for it. And then I'm on all the socials at The Fiscal Femme. Well, thank well, you thank again. You this so was much. awesome. Yeah. yeah, I know our listeners are going to love it. And, and it was great chatting. I know. It was really wonderful to chat. Loved it. Loved our conversation. Talk to right. everybody else next week. Bye. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.